As you prepare to um, turn to the Bible, to Daniel 5, I want us to consider that God's Word is holy and infallible, and it is our authority, it is the means by which we are to conform our hearts and minds, and therefore we should stand and give honor to God and to His Holy Word. As we look at Daniel 5, starting at verse 1, Hear the word of the Lord, Daniel 5, verse 1. Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners, The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. The queen entered the banquet hall. Because of the words of the king and his nobles, the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of your father, illumination, Insight and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, and your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving difficult problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar, let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we ask that you would bless this, your word, that you would give us illumination by means of your Holy Spirit to understand and believe the things that you've written. For we ask these things all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. For those of you who have heard my preaching for a while, maybe you might know that I 
I have a love or slight fascination, you could say, with the origin of words and sayings. Like, how did they come to being? What's the, what's the Latin root, the Greek root, or however? And I also like understanding sayings, like the common sayings that are known in the English language. It's an undeniable fact that our language has been largely formed by the translation of the Bible in English. In the same fashion, in Germany, the German language was not only unified, but it was, it was formed, along with some of the culture, by Martin Luther's German translation of the Bible. Now, the saying that I want to go over with you is, is one found here in this um, section of the prophecy of Daniel. When someone says, I have seen the writing on the wall, it means that there's a problem, and that problem is going to lead to a great loss or maybe even a tragedy. Uh, here's an example. Um, my boss wrote me up three times for delinquency. I've seen the writing on the wall. I think I'm going to lose my job. Or it's been months since I was able to pay a note a payment, monthly payment on my car, and I've gotten notices in the mail, and I've seen the writing on the wall that I believe one of these nights when I'm sleeping, my car is going to get towed out of my driveway. It's going to get repossessed. This saying, as we just read earlier, comes from Daniel 5, the writing on the wall. Before we get into the body of the text, I want us to do a little bit of background King Nebuchadnezzar here um, in this prophecy was one of the greatest kings of the ancient world. He had an empire. He wasn't just a king. You could say he was like an emperor who ruled over a vast empire. Um, in the previous chapter, Daniel was given an interpretation of a dream that the king had. The king had a dream of a mighty, massive tree that reached into the heavens but then later was cut down, the stump was left to then come back and grow back. And then Daniel ends up saying that this dream, this interpretation of the great dream, of the great tree, points to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. I wish it was for your enemy, but it points to you. And this is uh, something I want us to look at. Look back at Daniel 4.27. The prophet warned the king. He said, break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar may have been careful for a time, but 12 months later, a year later, maybe he forgot the warning of Daniel and he started getting quite proud. Uh, look at Daniel 4.30. Is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? And immediately after saying those words, God let the hammer down and, and he caused this man um, to be driven away from mankind. He went through a state of mental illness, God-given mental illness, you could say maybe God withdrew his protecting hand and he let 
this mental illness get to him that he, for seven periods of time, many people believe seven years of time, he was eating grass like an ox, until one day, verse 34, at the end of that period, many believe seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. After this, his reason was restored, his kingdom was restored, his counselors sought him out for counsel again. Verse 37 concludes this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. This is an important background because obviously his learning humility was not taught to his son and grandson, as we'll find out in his descendant named Belshazzar was a very arrogant man who had a similar problem with pride, but even gross arrogance. As we look at today's text, I want us to focus on two main points. The foolish arrogance of Belshazzar, and secondly, God's writing on the wall. So let's look first at this foolish arrogance of Belshazzar. Keep in mind, don't get this name confused with Belteshazzar, which is another um, Babylonian name given by Nebuchadnezzar for Daniel. So you have Belshazzar and Belteshazzar, but here's Belshazzar. Um, Look at verses 1 through 3. Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. Before we go any further, it's important to look at the identity of Belshazzar. Verse 2 here, if you read it, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, his father. It says Nebuchadnezzar was the father of Belshazzar. Now, I believe that there's proof from Scripture that Nebuchadnezzar was actually his grandfather. And if you look at history as well, there are some uh, historians that say that there was another king who ruled for a very short time after Nebuchadnezzar and before Belshazzar. So uh, think about this. When you have that in Matthew's Gospel, the very first verse of the opening of of Matthew's Gospel says this, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So maybe, you know, being that he had a lineage of one of the greatest kings of all time of of the empire of Babylon, it was an honor to say, I am the son of Nebuchadnezzar because his dad actually was a pretty lame and notoriously terrible king. And we'll look a little bit more at that um, this proof I have that the man is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar is found in Jeremiah 27. So let's go to 
to Jeremiah 27. That's after Isaiah. Jeremiah 27. Starting at verse 1. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord to me, Make for yourselves bonds and yokes, that's like straps and cords, and put them on your neck, and send word to the king of Edom, to the king of Moab, to the king of the sons of Ammon, to the king of Tyre and to the king of Sidon by messengers who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah king of Judah. Command them to go to their masters, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to your masters, I have made the earth, the men and the beasts which are on the face of the earth, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and I give it, to the one who is pleasing in my sight. Now I have given all these lands to into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the wild animals of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own, his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him his, their servant. It will be that the nation or the kingdom which will not serve him, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have destroyed it by his hand. Okay, so this is a predictor of the greatness of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, but also it's given, it says here, to his son and his grandson in verse 7. The last one to rule Babylon was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar because immediately, kind of, going a little bit ahead, immediately after the interpretation of the writing on the wall, this man dies, and then the kingdom is given to another nation. It is no longer going to be the Babylonian Empire. Okay? So this man, Belshazzar, is the last ruler, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. King Belshazzar had a, an extremely prominent kingdom. And we find out that for his kingdom, as it mentions in verse 1, to have a thousand nobles, that's a thousand rulers under him. That's a massive, massive empire. Many of those who were going to go to this feast of a thousand had to probably travel from the edges of the empire to then come to this great feast. Imagine the wealth involved in providing food. I'm sure the decorations were fantastic, but in providing food and drink and all these things to have a feast for a thousand. How about seating for a thousand people at a great, at a great feast? 
it required a great deal of wealth. Now, when we look in, maybe you didn't notice this, but when we look in Daniel 5, according to some scholars, it could be that Daniel 5, in this section that we've read, especially in verses 1 through 3, is it's toning down the debauchery involved in this great feast. I want to read something uh, to you. Um, it mentions that the king began by starting to drink in verse 1. But then Jameson, uh, the, the scholars Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown wrote this. He said, Wives and concubines were not usually present at the feasts in the east, where women of the harem were kept in strict, ice, in strict seclusion. It says here at the beginning, um, the lords were there in verse 1. So the feast began with these lords, and then later on, as the feast you know, advanced, he says the women were introduced. This act was not one of necessity or for the king's sake, but of reckless profanity. In other words, there was some lewdness uh, of a sexual orientation going on in this feast that is suggested by these scholars. So as he's drinking, they say, well... He's coming up with these really great ideas, isn't he? Well, let's bring all the ladies in and, and let's really kick this feast up to a, another notch. And then why don't we also bring in the holy gold, um, vessels of gold and silver out of the temple in Jerusalem. And we'll bring those in and we're going to have a great feast as we enjoy wine with those holy vessels from the temple. You ever heard that saying, don't give what is holy to the dogs? Well, that's what was going on here. What was intended to be used for a holy purpose of worshiping the king of glory, the king of heaven, our triune God, then began to be used for a feast of drunken, lewd, sensual perversion. Verse 4 we have God's commentary on what they were doing. They drank the wine and praised the gods, that is, the false idols of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now, none of the articles taken out of the temple that were brought to this feast were actual idols, but they were making these things, these instruments of things of worship, they esteemed the work of men's hands rather than the God of heaven. Now, even today, I could say that there are those in America who don't have time to worship God, but instead they love the material things of this world. And you could say that those who worship the material things of this world, it can apply to them that they worship and praise the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone of metal and of electronics, of gadgets, of nice, shiny, fancy, fun things. So in light of this debauchery, in light of this wickedness, in light of this taking what was holy and using it for an unholy, wicked, vile use, we have God's writing on the wall. Look at verses 5 and 6. Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace 
And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. I'm convinced by this passage that God has given humor as a gift. There's an inappropriate time to laugh. Like when someone you love trips and falls and hurts themselves. You don't laugh at stuff like that. But this is an occasion to laugh at this ridiculous sight. This is like reminds me of something you might have seen in one of these funny Looney Tune kind of car, uh, cartoons way back. This man not only turning pale, but his knees knocking together. And he was a hilarious sight for sure. He was toying around with the holy things of God. And God put a stop to that in quick order with the writing on the wall. Matthew Henry wrote this. He says, See how God struck terror on Belshazzar. God's written word is enough to put the proudest, boldest sinner in fright. What we see of God, the part of the hand that writes in the that writes in the book of the creatures and in the book of scriptures should fill us with awful thoughts concerning that part which we do not see. It is but the finger of God. What is his arm when made bare? So his argument is this. If it's the finger of God that brings this fright to the heart of Belshazzar, what about if the whole arm, or if we see even God himself reveal himself in, in a great vision, as when God revealed himself in that vision of Jesus Christ in Revelation, and John falls down as, before him as a dead man. So this king then, after he gets over his fright and gets himself together, he's still pale. Um, he's desperate to know what the inscription is. Look at verses 7 through 9. The king called aloud to bring the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners. And the king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be, uh, shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. This is kind of reminiscent of what his grandfather did. When he had a vision and he couldn't interpret it, he called in all of these worthless conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. And no matter how much he threatened... Even you know you notice Nebuchadnezzar, if you go back to the very beginning of this prophecy, he threatened to tear them from limb from limb and to make their their homes a pile of rubble if they couldn't give the interpretation. Threatened them with painful death and death of their families if they wouldn't interpret. Well here this king's a little bit softer. He's promising to, to give them great wealth to clothe with clothing with purple and necklace of gold around the neck 
and to give them authority as a third ruler if one of these men could give him the interpretation. But no matter how much you promise to threaten them with pain, death, torture, or promise them with great wealth and and esteem and prosperity and authority, they still can't interpret because they don't have the Spirit of God and the, the writing is from God. Now, it mentions later that this queen of Babylon proved herself to be both a student of history and a wise woman. Now, I was doing some reading here. It's possible this could be a queen who was, I know this doesn't make sense according to English monarchy type thing, but she could have been a grandmother or his mother. Not necessarily the wife of Belshazzar, but whoever this woman was, she was one of the the few people with some sense and who studied history in Babylon. Look at uh, verses 10 to 12. The queen entered the banquet hall. Because of the words of the king and his nobles, the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit... Knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. We're not sure exactly how how old Daniel is at this point. But I, I did read somewhere where someone estimated that he could have been as old as 90, but we don't know for sure. But um, the king, before Belshazzar, was named or known by Evil Marotic. That's a pretty evil-sounding name, Evil, evil Marotic. He was such a terrible king that he only ruled for one or two years. And his rule was so bad that the Babylonians made a plot to even dethrone him and get him off the throne. And then they put the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar on the throne, who is Belshazzar. Now, very likely, after the death of Nebuchadnezzar, it's obvious that evil Merodic and Belshazzar somehow ignored Daniel. The most wise man in the history of their empire who had ever stepped foot in their empire, they ignored and pushed away and didn't care to listen to his wisdom. He had the spirit of insight, illumination, and wisdom, yet they didn't care. Instead, they went back to the Chaldeans, their conjurers, and those such men who were of no use whatsoever. 
Maybe they were prejudiced against the Hebrews. Maybe they wanted their, their own people to be those who had these positions of authority. And they disregarded Daniel. And obviously, evil Merodic and his rule was so terrible because he didn't listen to the wisdom that was given to him by Daniel. And we find here Belshazzar is, is not doing so well in, in his reign because he didn't pursue the wisdom of Daniel as well. Moses talks about a prophet to come. Now, when we think about this extraordinary spirit that is given to Daniel, an extraordinary spirit is given to Daniel of illumination, insight, and wisdom. But Moses, by the Holy Spirit, was promised or promised this. He says, the Lord your God, this is in Deuteronomy 18, 15, 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Yes, Daniel was one of the wisest, most godly prophets in the history of Israel. But the ultimate prophet came in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ was the spirit of the extraordinary spirit of knowledge and wisdom and power and authority and the wisdom from God because he was God. He is God. He came upon the scene as the God-man and has ascended and remains both God and man forever for all eternity. And this Jesus is the one that we are to worship and to put not only our trust in his revelation, but our trust in him as our Lord and Savior. Jesus not only came with that spirit of illumination and wisdom, but he came to suffer and die for sinners such as us, that by putting our faith in him, we could be saved from the wrath to come. So next time you hear someone talk about the writing on the wall, Think of Daniel chapter 5. Think of God's using this writing to humble this proud, arrogant king, even Belshazzar, the foolish arrogance of Belshazzar. Remember the wisdom given to Daniel that points to the ultimate wisdom, power, and authority given to Jesus Christ our Lord, who has made the ruler of heaven and of earth and our Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. We thank you, our blessed Lord, for this, your holy word. Thank you for the wisdom that was given unto Daniel, your holy prophet. And we thank you that Daniel, in his serving as prophet, points to our Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate prophet that you have given unto us, who is both God and man, prophet, priest, and king. And we pray that he would be our savior, that we would rest upon him for our salvation. Help us to trust him, to serve and love him. And bless, we pray, this your word unto our hearts and minds. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's turn to... 
247. We praise you, O God, our Redeemer, Creator. We'll stand and sing 247.